shame that I didn't go to it earlier when I heard such good things about it. Ted Lasso. Oh. What's Ted Lasso? Oh, dude, you've got to watch. It is an example of just, hey, you can be really good and it's not fun. Like, there's a better option, and yeah, the option usually is be the better person. You can get frustrated, you get angry, you can... Here we are. I can Sorry, hear I'm you. Just dropping stuff now. Sorry. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you perfectly, oh, cool. Karen. We've got it going. Sorry um, about that. I'm, I don't know what was happening. This is me. I'm Josh. Hello, Josh. Hello. Nice to meet you. I had all these devices going, three of them. <laughs> Notifications going off everywhere. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm on the iPad now, so that should work. Oh, that okay. should be fine. Very good. Wonderful. And you're in, so you're in Canberra now? I am. How are you, Ado? I'm good. I'm good. It's yeah. so good to see your beautiful face. Yeah, yours too. It's been a. I, hey. I think it's. It's got to have been. Geez, what we did the a ten year reunion. Three. I think it's probably about fifteen years since you and I have been in the same room. Oh, I know. Well, I'm like an old grey haired grandma now. <laughs> it's a so, shock to you. So you're you're doing you're working at the portrait gallery. Yeah, I've been there. I'm just I'm just turning up my sound. Yep. I've been there for the better part of a decade. Really? Yeah, it'll be um at the end of this year it'll be a decade. Oh wow. <laughs> so what yeah. is the what is the portrait gallery? Sorry? What's the portrait gallery? I'm not I'm not familiar with it. Okay, it's the National Portrait Gallery. Oh, it's okay. Situ- <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. Situated in Canberra. Yeah. Um Next door to the National Gallery of Australia. Okay, so the short form of just the portrait gallery. I'm thinking, is it a silhouette place? They cut out with just silhouettes and. No, it's just <laughs> it's just portraits, pictures yeah. of the the great and the good and the infamous yeah. people that have had an impact on um, Australian society and culture through time. Oh wow! And um, yeah, it it's actually a, it's a great place to work. It's been really really interesting, and. Um, so I am the director of access and learning, which means I look after all the educational programs, all the uh, public programs, you know, so lectures, talks, um, art workshops, uh, performance. I've brought a lot of performance into the, into the gallery. <laughs> yeah, bad, yeah. yeah, yeah, come on, of course. Um, so just kind of activating the spaces and giving people what I like to call like another lens to to understand the art of portraiture or the stories of the people that are portrayed or artists right. yeah and so, so did, you, did you have a also, background in yeah. in that style of you know like um like painting style art no right no i didn't and i i kind of proudly call myself an outsider and i kind of think that that helps me do my job yeah and um, one of my colleagues said oh come on you're an insider now to me only this weekend and I went no 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 when you say that I have to stop because I stopped being useful yeah. and I kind of having um if you like the right overview of of what we're doing and how how people really see it what what audiences think so yeah it's a, such a strong relationship to theater it's amazing really what, what yeah. is that just because it's you know it's the emotion of people's faces or like Exactly. It's all about people. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's all about how 
how a portrait kind of tries to capture the essence of a character or a personality at that moment in time. And also tries to tell a story about uh, what they do or what they've done or what their interests are and all those sort of things. So it's about character, but also just the way um, a series of exhibitions, a program of exhibitions works across a year. It's just like a theatre season. Okay. And, you know, we have to we have to reach deadlines and we have to have all these different departments, <laughs> people with different skills, all working together to get to opening. Mm. And then we have the run of the show. So is, is so there like, like an archive of these that you, you're drawing on to create exhibitions? I beg your pardon? Is, is there an archive of the, of the portraits that you're drawing on to actually create a, an exhibition kind of some, from scratch or are they, is it Sometimes. kind of set? Um, well, the collection grows all the time. Yeah. And uh, so we've got a collection of several thousand works now. Um, although the gallery's only really been, it's, it's one of the youngest galleries in the country in terms of a national institution. Um, or even a state institution. And um, we also actively commission um, portraits. And that's really interesting because that's when you match the subject or the sitter with an artist and you say, that's going to be an interesting, yeah, wow. an interesting combination or meeting of these two individuals and what they're going to produce. So a really famous one that we have that I think you'll like, Ado, yeah. is um, is a portrait of Nick Cave. Yeah. And it's by Howard Arkley. And it's actually Howard Arkley is an amazing artist, but he's best known for his really, really um, super saturated uh, paintings of cities, like little orange boxes and houses. Right, okay. you'll, you'll recognize them if you see them. Yeah. And he doesn't do portraits. But this was actually the last um, painting he did before he died. Um, and it's this fantastic, fantastic portrait of Nick Cave, which is done um, like using spray paint. So it's like graffiti. Yeah. Completely brilliant. Um, but you can find it on our website. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll, Josh will find it. No, we'll, we'll, we'll put some examples up as we're, as we're discussing all these works and everything, though, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really yeah. cool. Because actually, when you. But, when, I do a heap of theatre here. So in all my spare time, of which there isn't much, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I work with other people um, here um, making theatre. So directing, acting, doing all sorts of stuff. And we've got big plans and big ambitions because Canberra is kind of behind the rest of the country in terms of the independent theatre scene. Okay. So the Canberra Theatre Centre here um, is, is terrific. It's a beautiful theatre and we've got a very... Uh, interesting and dynamic new director in there at the moment just come in but basically they don't produce Canberra work they just they're like a venue for some really great touring productions so you know the Bangar come there every year Bell Shakespeare come come there every year um, but lots of other stuff as well yeah um, but yeah they don't produce any Canberra work but that's changing under Alex Budd so that's a bit exciting there's, a bit, there's, there's some stuff going on. Um, but he arrived and, of course, we all went into COVID. So yeah, he's just kind of hit his straps now. That would, have, <laughs> that would have been some downtime for you guys, obviously. So did you use that a bit productively and think of, okay, let's brainstorm some future projects and maybe get ahead of the schedule there? I... Well, look, totally. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we did that dreaded word, the digital pivot. But <laughs> I think... Yeah, which everyone's using. But yeah. I had been working on digital education programs and digital um, 
live streaming and stuff yeah. for a long time. Um, we called it the virtual excursion program and we've been working on that for about five years. So what that enabled us to do was to very quickly make an adjustment um, and to, to really develop that. Mm -hmm. And now we have audiences and we're still working with them. We have people that have been tuning into us for months now and it's roughly 60 people every time we do a program, which is pretty good actually. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of those people is an expat who lives in Sweden. She gets up at 2 a.m. <laughs> That's wonderful. Piece of Australian art. Yeah. It's really cool. And this other guy that lives in the in the um, in in the bush. You know, he's a farmer. But he's also a painter. So he comes every week without fail. And oh, yeah. actually, he entered the Archibald. And so when he went to Sydney to take his painting to Sydney. I don't know if he got in. I don't think he did, but never mind. Yeah. Um, he came by Canberra to visit. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. So oh, we've wow. got this audience of people, um, and that's that's really fun. Well, that format and has given a lot of people that chance to maybe uh, see this work they wouldn't have had to, and hopefully we don't well, draw that back when everything sort of does normalise a bit. It'd be a bit of a shame if we just sort of don't keep that other pathway open. Look, I know, yeah. and that's what we're doing now because really Canberra's pretty um, one of the safest places in the country. We're very lucky, and and we're completely open and unmasked, and yeah. you know, actually a bit complacent. We have to be a bit careful, yeah. but. Um, you know, we're open. People are rushing in to, to see exhibitions and what have you. Yeah. Now it's been really, really busy. And, um, but we are still maintaining this uh, digital perspective because that mm. is right. We can reach people who otherwise won't be able to come. I mean, and that people with disability or confined to homes or, you know, the elderly or um, we for a long time have been reaching out into the Canberra Hospital School so we go into the hospital school for kids and and that's really special because they have such a awful time. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. they hate going to the hospital school well, and I mean, they're the kids that are there for, you know, quite a long time, yeah. you know, four or five weeks and more. Yeah. Uh, so popping in to see them and doing some stuff every every few weeks is really cool. I must and admit, getting, though, make some us. Yeah. when I've had we experience of going to the Westmead Children's Hospital, like for a yeah. hospital though, it's a marvellous place to go. I was just like, why can't all hospitals why can't adults have hospitals this vibe? Like it's a wonderful place. There's artwork everywhere. There's, yeah. energy, there's energy, even though it's a place that is serious. I will we'll say yeah. though, as well, because um, I, I, I broke my leg at the beginning of uh, last year, the, the year gone before, um, uh -huh. and there was a, a brief period where I thought I was about to I'd gone to the hospital to just have my leg looked at by the surgeon in order to get my final cast and do the whole thing. Yeah. And as, as soon as I went to chat to the orthopedic surgeon, he sort of took one look at my leg and went, oh, we may end up operating today. And Gosh. I'm someone who's Gosh. very nervous about operations. I, I, I really don't like them. And I'd gone there alone because I thought it was just going to be a normal trip. And I remember... I was going through the, the corridor on my crutches and I was on the verge of tears and those kind of, you know, the, the kind of panic attack tears where you're sort of going, I, I'm not capable of dealing with this right now. Like I need my mum, I need, my, I need something. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going, I need anything, just anything. And I looked on the wall and there was a painting from um, a gentleman, um, Uncle Bundaluck, who's one of the, 
the Indigenous elder, and he was the first Indigenous man of, of the Blue Mountains who really sort of took me under his wing and started teaching me about culture. Um, really great, uh, Darug, and I think he might have been um, Gandangaran as well. But, um, yeah. you know, someone who was a really important person in my sort of teenage life. And all of a sudden there's this big painting of his on the wall. And I remember I took a photo of it and made a post about it because I kind of went, "That's this is what I needed. Like I needed that that sort of spiritual thing to sort of go, you know, have heart. And, and I think that's, a- that's what the, the art and the music and just livelihood in hospitals kind of does. Right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I found is like transferring from one art form to another and back again. And it's the same language, basically. It's just a different medium. Yeah. And you, we're all trying to do the same thing and, and just um, make people feel more uh, at ease in the world. And that's where portraiture is great, you know, because it's like um, I kind of see it as like a gateway art form. Yeah, We can all look at a portrait and go, is that a good portrait or a bad portrait? We can make a judgment. We feel confident because we, mm. we understand, you know, who's being portrayed. We might know yeah. them from history or mm. we might even have met them or seeing them on the telly or mm. whatever. And uh, we can make that judgment call. And you feel confident then about looking at art and then saying, well, why do I like it? Or mm. why do I think it's really bad? Why is it crap? And 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 um, in a way that sometimes when people go to next door to the National Gallery and they see some white on white painting, they just don't know where to begin. And yeah. I don't blame them, you know, um, because they feel like they're not, um, they're not really admitted. Like they have to have some body of knowledge and expertise in order to appreciate. Yeah. Portraiture isn't like that. It's it's very democratic, I think. And I, that's why I love it because it speaks yeah. to everyone well, in it, a really... Um, there's actually, there's, there's a little fact one. that I saw today um, and, it, it, you know, oddly enough popped up on my, on my phone, but that at, at one point they actually took, um, so, you know, Hitler painted landscapes. And he was yeah. very into art, right? Mm. They gave a whole bunch of his artworks to a modern art critic and never didn't tell him who'd done it, just said, you know, can you analyse this? And what he basically came back with was he said, uh, well, whoever painted them has, has quite good technique, quite a good eye, not a bad mm. artist, mm. but doesn't seem to really care about people, judging by the way that they're painted in the wow. artwork. And wow. Yeah, <laughs> which I think is kind I of... Weird that so, there's some book. Like um, all these um, dictators that had, you know, art practice, mm. like their their kind of their thing, and Hitler wasn't the only one. No. It was a bit shocked. So but anyway, now that we're talking about that, that though, I, I sort of feel <laughs> like you know they, they couldn't possibly be portrait artists that are any good because I feel like there needs to be a level. Like we were talking with Dave um, Eastgate, yeah. one of the the guests on a, a previous show about mm. the difference between someone who's, you know, you know, you use the term artist or, you know, a creative yeah. person. The difference yeah. between them and someone that wants to be famous is, you know, both of them want a reaction from the people that are, that are sort of viewing them. But mm. the artist and the creator genuinely cares about what that response is and wants it to be a positive response. And when it's a negative response, wants to understand why it's a negative response. You know, there's an... Yeah there's a level of empathy that needs to sort of travel between the two that, you know, I'd got to presume that if any of the dictators, you know, were to paint a portrait, that empathy would be missing. (laughs) I think it would. I think you're right. Yeah. Look, I think all art is, is ideally is a conversation, not a, um, not, not just a statement. 
uh, about which you just go, well, yeah, you get it or you don't. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm superior. That's just, yeah, that's not actually what it's about. Yeah. It's a bit unfortunate, actually. I think art also has that area that if I don't get it, uh, oh, it's not for me or I don't get it. And it's the, But you said before, it's the question of what goes into this? What is? What are they trying to communicate here? And these aren't heavy, high ideal things. These are pretty common questions that one can, mm. even without yeah. an art critic background, go, okay, well, what are they trying to do here maybe? Okay, it's a blank piece of white canvas. Well, what's yeah. going on here? There's too many things. And like you're saying, the portrait is a very human connection. I know exactly. what a face is. I can have yeah. this very intimate bond and I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah, well, look, from yeah. birth, we, we, we are hardwired to make sense of faces. Yeah. yeah. You know, some of us are better at it than others for all sorts of different reasons. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's still hardwired. We get it. Mm. And, um, yeah. So there's a new portrait that we've just put up, which is great, which is um, a portrait of Hugh Jackman. Yeah. And so that's proving very popular. Yeah. Well, Hugh. <laughs> of course, of course, but, our, our wonderful but, Wolverine. Oh, my God. No, no, he's looking really like you. He looks like a middle-aged, lovely person. Yeah. Oh, right. Um, it's a very um, – uh, it's by Vincent Fantuzzo, who's like um, – Oh, that's a wonderful name. Yeah. He's he's the partner of Asha Ketty. Okay. And he's actually um, a very famous portrait artist in Australia. And he um, – his, his – Paintings are extraordinary, like this in almost photorealism. So people look at this portrait and they think, oh, it's a black and white photo, but it's not. It's actually hand-painted. It's quite extraordinary. So that's attracting a lot of attention. Yeah, that was actually on the news last night, I think. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting, that, isn't it? Like the the more real or hyper-real it is, the closer we get to familiarity of an artwork, I think people are more accustomed to it. I know that. Yeah. And the more yeah. abstract you get, the, the longer that sort of that journey goes, it's very hard and murky and I don't know if I want to really go there and oh, this oh, is look, too many questions. Exactly. I'm just going to leave it to me. That's all right. I'm, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's not for me. Yeah. yeah. No, there's this study of um, stages of aesthetic development and, like, there's apparently five stages. Most of us are between stage one and stage two in terms of our aesthetic development. So how we how we understand a work of art when we stand in front of it. And it's like only the most rarefied creatures are at stage five, you know, mm-hmm. and they tend to be artists of extraordinary caliber, you know, Renoir or someone might've been a stage five, mm-hmm. but, um, and it's interestingly, unlike educational development, it's not related to your age or even educational opportunities. It's purely related to how much time you spent with art and how many conversations you've had in in the context of, of looking at art. Yeah. So that's why things like photorealist paintings, we look at and we go, oh, that's extraordinary. That is so real. I thought it was a photograph. That must be an amazing artist. Mm. We just make that equation, you know? Yeah. I... So that's why we do that. When I was when I was living in the UK, I went to the, um, the I think it was the Tate Modern, I think it was, yeah. with, um, with my buddy Samara Weaving. And yeah. You know, she's a good couple of years younger than me and there was one point where we're standing in this, you know, and I'm looking at this artwork and I went, I really like that. It's really cool. And she sort of stopped and looked at it and she went, yeah, I mean, like, something really kind of Baroque about it. And then sort of walked off and 
I remember sort of very condescendingly looking at her walking off and going, oh, how cute. She's just regurgitated the one word from, you know, year 10 art that she remembers. I was like, that's, that's really sweet. And then I looked at the, the little blurb and it said, you know, heavily influenced by the Baroque period. And I sort of read that and then went, Sam, and called her back over and went, did you, did you read that? Or did, and she went, no, looked down and went, oh, yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, look, she's, then, she, but she started like, listing off the artists. And then I... Beyond. Yeah, she's at stage three because that's yeah. where you classify because you have a certain level of knowledge. But then I, I sort of said to her, I went, how, do you, yeah. how did you know that? And yeah. she went, she yeah. goes, oh, my, my mum's one of the curators at the National Gallery. Yeah, well, actually, like, okay, my mum right. um, worked at the National Portrait Gallery just before I got there because I right. knew uh, Samara's cousin. I mean, I know Hugo, obviously, um, but Samara's cousin, Harry Greenwood, yeah. So Harry, um, I was teaching, you know, he was one of the students at NIDA at the time. And the, at the time I left and said, okay, I buy everybody. I'm off to the portrait gallery. He went, oh my God, my aunt's just resigned. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you guys would have loved each other. And um, So you've yeah, never met? I think we've met in passing, like really fleetingly at some right, okay. event or something. And um, yeah, in fact, her name came up today. I was having a conversation with someone and um, her name came up positively, of course. And I said, she's someone I regret that I didn't get to work with because I think we would have got on really well. And people always respond and say, yeah, you would have. Yeah. It's weird. It's like this missing, um, <laughs> this person. I keep missing this person. Well, there's still time. And then you brought her up as well. Like, what mm. the hell? Mm. This is weird. That's twice in one day, and oh. I don't know her. I mean, it is, it is a ridiculously small world too. Like, yeah. I mean, the, the arts within Australia, like the amount of times that I've gotten to chat to someone, and it's yeah. only discovered we've got about 30, 40 people in common. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, because I mean, that like, uh, we, ha we oh, haven't touched on this nice. yet, but... You've got to be like, nice. Sorry? You've got to be nice to people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, yeah. It work gets around. Um like that, we, we haven't touched on the like Karen and my history. And no. that, you know, when I when I arrived at NIDA, I was a eighteen year old kid. And what for anybody who is not familiar with NIDA, what is NIDA? Uh, it's the National Institute of Dramatic Art, or TAFE, as my mate Jake would call it. Uh, it's being very generous to TAFE. He, well, he just presumes that I've always got it wrong, and I actually studied at TAFE, and I'm too stupid to know the difference. No, I um, can tell. I can tell him your friend Jake's wrong. <laughs> so. You know, we, I, was, I was this 18-year-old kid and, you know, I show up at this, you know, awe-inspiring institution that, you know, the, the kings and queens of drama at my high school had auditioned five or six times and hadn't got in and I'd somehow managed to be given sort of the keys to that kingdom. And, and I remember walking into my first um, History of Theatre lecture with you and I'd never been in a lecture. I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know whether I was I meant to be taking notes. Was I, And... You know, so much of, of what occurred in that, that lecture hall had such a big impact on me and I know a lot of the other the other students as well, just of yeah. sort of getting inspired of the history that had gone before us and and feeling like we were actually going to be part of that, in that understanding yeah. the past, we were going to be able to start yeah. creating the future. And it was a it was a really you know, it went from being the class that I was I had a lot of trepidation and a lot of nervousness about sure. attending because it was yeah. the academic part of the the course. I know, I know. And then it suddenly yeah. became like, particularly your your lectures were the thing that I looked forward to. You know, it was where you oh, thank you, you. learn that stuff. 
Well, you know, um, I remember one of the administrators saying to me at one point, oh, well, you're fine. Everyone loves your class. And I just went, well, gosh, that is the nicest thing you could possibly say to me because there is no one that comes to NIDA to do history of theatre. No one. Yeah, they yeah, don't that... come in wanting to do this stuff at all. In fact, they're either bored by it in, in advance or they're cranky they have to write essays or they're scared of it or there's a whole lot of things. They just don't want to do it. Mm. So the nicest thing you could possibly say to me is people to seem to like it, oh, you know, like far out. Really You'd did. have no idea. I mean, I, I also, sure. I was, I was telling a, a, this story a couple of days ago to someone that, um, um, you know, I'm not sure whether you're going to remember it at all, but there was a, there was a time in one of your lectures where um, a young lady's phone started ringing. I and it was it was in. You do remember this, so it was, I it was do. so it was in her bag. Yeah. Tell the story. And I she, mean, this is also a time, I guess, where phones weren't as ubiquitous no, possibly. But I mean, to me, it also because from my memory, she wasn't an acting student. She was, I think, a design or like lighting design yeah. student. So, yeah. you know, when an actor's phone went off, which happened quite a bit, because I mean, we're we're conceited people. Um, you know, it'd just be a thing of like. You know, I can remember, like, Don Contouris's phone must have gone off a thousand times and he'd just, he'd sort of stop eating his nuts, he'd uncross his legs, pull it out of his satchel, turn it off, go back to eating his nuts like it was nothing. And, you know, everything just continued. But this poor young lady, I think, had never been the centre of attention in a room that big before and started panicking. And she's struggling and the whole time she's apologising. And, you know, Karen had... First of all, just continued sort of driving the lecture through, but then realised how much of the room was now distracted by that. And, you know, and, and all of us then, once Karen sort of paused and just started watching, all of us were like, okay, now we're allowed to watch what's going on. So we watched this sort of pantomime of her struggling and apologising and trying to get the phone out and then dropping it and, and finally getting it out and then she hung it up. But instead of just hanging it up, putting it on silent, putting it back on the back, she then continued to apologise and continue... And, to the point where we all started giggling sure. and we're talking, how many people would have, 90 people would have been I'm, sitting I'm in that theatre? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And we're all snickering and we're all laughing. Yeah. And then my memory of it is that you literally <laughs> stood, watched it for a little while and then just went, enough. And it was like you Jedi mind tricked the entire room because every single one of us just went, <laughs> and then yeah. you yeah. just continued with the lecture and I remember looking over at Emma Palmer and she just had this look on her face of just like, that's the way I want to be. I, I want to have that amount of power. That was awesome. And it, uh, uh, I mean, it affected yeah, all look, of us. I, that yeah, that wow. ability to just command a room. Well, that's just being an actor. You all do it. But <laughs> in that moment, it was just like, yep, this is, we've, we've all stopped. We've all looked, we've all paid attention. You've dealt with it. It was a struggle. And then it was just like, yeah, I just remember putting up the hand, just going, enough. And it wasn't even loud. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. Because I didn't want to upset this person any more than they were already upset. But it's just the power of a gesture. When you're the only person on stage, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny, isn't it? But it's, it's yeah, it's the... Um, it's what we call playing the action to just go, no, come on, I'm, I'm getting the focus now, taking it from you now, and it's back where it needs to be yeah. to go on with this story, whatever the story was. I don't know what I was talking about. But, yeah, that is so funny. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of embarrassing in a way because I feel, oh, gosh, you know, 
So, Karen, you delved with the the history of the art form in itself, I guess. So what would be the overview? Like are you doing uh, like 101, 202 sort of structure or is it kind of this is the main – yeah, I'm, I'm not quite sure of like your lesson arc, I guess, would be the simplest uh, way. That's or... a really good question, you know, and it was, it was um, very Western theatre-centric um, mm-hmm. because, you know, the time I was there, that was the sort of canon – um, we started to push the um, boundaries of that much more and started inviting people in with expertise in um, various Asian theatre forms and things like that as well to sort of augment what we were doing. Yeah. But primarily what we were trying to do was to give the students an overview of um, the really great moments in history that had happened in, in theatre art um, and film, we did we did film in another course as well. Okay. Um, so that when they looked at a play or they were invited to participate in something, they could kind of understand its style, its genre, and what the sort of performance elements are of that play yeah. and where it fits. So that they had a kind of security about how they could research as well if they didn't know, but they could recognise certain things. So a bit like Samara when she was with Ado could look at a painting and say, oh, it's got Baroque elements. That's what I wanted the students to be able to do about a piece of theatre. Yeah. Mm. To be able to kind of go, I think it's from here or I think it's that sort of period or it's influenced by this and I understand something about that. So that as artists they can... um, move into the interpretation and the and most importantly actually maybe update it maybe reinterpret it but from a base of knowledge mm-hmm. not from a base of oh i don't get this at all it doesn't speak to me but to say oh this spoke to people in you know 500 bc greece yeah. how can we make it speak to people now and I, they do that from a basis of knowledge and understanding and they can yeah adapt it like I think when you mentioned before have how powerful your class was, I think maybe Aiden said of that it's bringing you in part of this culture, like that feeling of I'm part of something bigger than myself and yeah. getting yeah. more understanding of that thing just heightens yeah. that, gives you this place where you're amongst yeah. that history I think how that, powerful that, that could be. That was sort of the biggest thing that I got out of NIDA was within my student cohort these moments of just feeling like you were going to change the world and you genuinely believed it. You kind of went, no, we've, we've been given this tool. We're very inspired by that. Yeah. And, and I remember um, John Clark giving the speech that I think he probably gave to all the, th- you know, graduating third years around that time of us being his time bombs that yeah, all of us that. now had the tools to be out there and make a difference. Yeah. And all of us had a different length fuse. And yeah. so long as we stay out there and he said, and I think to, you know, to his credit, a lot of us, it might not be in acting, might not even be in the arts, but we've been given a tool or a something to then go out and, you know, do something. Yeah, with it. it happens in classrooms all over the country um, with graduates, you know, mm. as well as on stages and um, in films and art galleries and all kinds of stuff. It's amazing. Mm. It's amazing the... Um, I, I lo- always loved that image too, Ada, of the time bombs. I thought mm. that was quite amazing. But one of the best gifts for me was just um, wave after wave of students. Over the 14 years I worked at NIDA. Yeah, the 14. Incredible. Yeah, and I'm wow. a graduate myself. So, I yeah. mean, I, 
I graduated, I did the acting course too, and I finished in 1983. Are you on the wall was, anywhere? Mm, mm, yeah. yeah. Where, where should students that are there now look for you? Where who? Where should students that are there now look for you on the, you know, the pictures in the corridors? Do you oh, have any of those? Well, up? I used to be in the foot, you know, on this, on this kind of barrel and, and, and doing this kind of really vulgar showgirl pose. I don't know. <laughs> Still there, but a couple of years ago I was because a student that I know from Canberra yeah. arrived at NIDA and that was one of the first things she saw in the forum. She went, oh, thank God, that's someone I know. Yeah. <laughs> she took a photo and sent it to me. I don't know if it's still there because, you know, people change the decor, don't they, and, yeah. and the photos that are up and all that sort of I stuff. Mean, I mean, I was only in there last week um, and I, you know, last time I'd been in that building, the whole like fourth or fifth floor or whatever they were didn't exist. No, you I know. The library was the top. So long, um, yeah, and yeah, it's a, it's a very different building. I mean, like I I walked yeah. in expecting to see Massimo's Cafe, and oh. you know, and it was all yeah, it was very different. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you know, organisations have to change or they die. Mm. I'm a great believer in change. I mean, often there's regrets about um, things that maybe are. Um, seem to be thrown away or forgotten or whatever. But if an organisation doesn't evolve, then um, especially in the arts, I just don't know that it can survive. So I'm not too sentimental mm. about stuff. And, you know, there's a lot of change happening at the Portrait Gallery too. And you sort of notice some people that are really desperately trying to hold on and, and resistant to change. And that's because they believe passionately in, in, in certain principles or whatever that they feel mm. are being eroded. Um, and there's a place for that, but 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 somewhere there's a balance. Mm. Uh, it's kind of like you have to you have to keep moving forward. Yeah, and everything I mean, has time. And I guess yeah. I guess for you too, you've been part of that change. I mean, like you know, the the role yeah. that you took over in the Portugali would have been done by someone else beforehand. So there's an automatically a change that happens with that opportunity for you to yeah. experience so many things that you otherwise might not have experienced. No, that's right. That's right, you have to. I mean, we didn't have to, anything digital when I arrived. Mm-hmm. I think there were sort of a few PDFs on the on the website yeah. because that's also, you know, that's how things were then. Yeah. We weren't unique. We weren't sort of behind. But I kind of looked at that and thought there's more we can do in that space, mm. surely. And so I think that the job is when you move into um, a new position or whatever in an arts institution, that's probably true just of any institution, is accept the principles and the understand and learn sit and look and watch what is being done really really well and there's always stuff that you think that's very very good i need to hold on to that Hmm. or at least the principle behind that um and there was heaps there for me at the portrait gallery that was just terrific you know in terms of educational um integrity and approach and and all of those things you know that i inherited yeah, yeah, that have been done by other people before me, and that's great. I mean, there's but at also the same time, there's always going to be. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I leave the portrait gallery. Someone else is going to come in, and they're going to do the same thing as me. They're going to say that was good, but I don't think there's enough here. So yeah, I'm going yeah. to fill that gap. I mean, that's that's what you have to do. Yeah, which I think is a great. That's a great thing, you know, um, to to like, have constant evolution. Leave it alone. Don't don't try and. I hate the carping from the sidelines that can happen in arts organisations when people yeah. have left and they kind of go on and on about how terrible it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah that. Fix it, you know. And I think, well, yeah, that might be true. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I do that too. I'm, you know, we're human. 
Um, but I actually think, not nah, you know, you've walked away, so just let people get on with it. I mean, it's also something, though, that makes the time that you were there special and unique. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like the experience that I had coming through, you know, being a part of your, your lecture theatre is a completely different experience and unique from the people that, you know, came after. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, and I, there was actually, there was something that when you were first talking about, you know, the, the digital pivot, the word that, yeah. you know, we hate yeah. using. Um, so one thing that I love that's come out of it is the fact that, um, you know, it's pushed people like the National Theatre over in the UK oh, to I suddenly know. start releasing everything filmed. And yeah. that now, you know, like one of the one of the standard little tricks that used to happen, Josh, was mm. we'd I'd walk into my Monday morning acting class with mm-hmm. um, the how would you describe Kevin Jackson? Formidable, <laughs> um, yeah, cantankerous, sure. well, terrifying. Um, you know, yeah, but also, head acting also teacher, very yeah. loving bear. <laughs> yeah, and he you know. and you know and the lesson would always start the same way. He'd basically just go, he'd sort of look around the room and he'd go, so what, what are we doing on the weekend? Anyone? And you basically had to say, oh, I went and saw this exhibition or I read this play or, you know, you had to do something cultural. You like, wanted to have, have something in your, I, in your gun loaded, ready to go of like, hey, I saw this. You're like, going to love this. I always really got under his skin because I'd be like, oh, Mars Lounge was firing. So I just surfed all weekend, Kev. Um, you know, he, he loved hearing stuff like that. But... Yeah. If, you know, these days you've actually got the ability to sit there and go, oh, well, I watched, you know, the National Theatre version of, um, of yep. Frankenstein where I yeah. had the option of watching Benedict Cumberbatch or uh, oh, his name's jumping out of my head, but yeah. you, can, you can literally Johnny, watch the pair Johnny, of them. Johnny, something like that. Yeah, like you can watch the pair of them back to back and see I know, I how that. they did the role differently and you, you can yeah. sit there and, and, and for, I mean... The students that are coming up in the digital age now have got yeah. so much at their fingertips that I can only presume they're taking advantage of it. Um, mm. Well, you know, I don't know what's happening, but um, you're, you'll probably remember this, Ada, that we used to spend an entire term on Australian theatre, just on Australian theatre. Yeah. Right, history of that, up to, you know, as contemporary as we could get at the time. And I read somewhere, I think it was Alison Crogan, you know, she, she and her husband did... Um, Witness, which was this fantastic blog, because arts journalism is in deep trouble. Mm. Journalism's in deep trouble, but arts journalism in particular is 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 cut to the bone now. And they just aren't able to sustain this blog, but it was one of the best. It was called Witness, and they've just sort of announced their resignation this last week. Oh, wow. And one of the things she was writing about is that no one's teaching Australian theatre history anymore. That kind of broke my heart. Um, yeah. Because I think that more often than not, that term was was the most important term for a lot of students. Actually recognising, you know, being able to research about their local hometown and the theatre company there that started. Mm. Mm. Or, um, you know, the way in which Nimrod evolved into Belvoir and, you know, all of that stuff. So there's a kind of a sense of that legacy that you were talking about. Mm that NIDA, a place like NIDA has, and now WAPA, of course, which is fantastic, and VCA. Yeah. Um, that, that sense of where they come from and, and the students have, have, are able to claim their spot within that history. Mm. And I think that's so important. And it's, it, it does seem a shame to me if 
Alison Crogan, the critic, is right in saying that no one's teaching Australian theatre history anymore. Mm. Kind of a tragedy. But there's a um, there's there's resources on on witness, which is um, is going to be maintained as a sort of archive, yeah, okay. which is good. Yeah, which is really good. So that if people want to know something, that's uh, just another place they can go. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's been unfortunate, like we're saying, the, the benefits of the digital world uh, uh, we can deliver throughout the world now, like you're saying, through COVID, we can give people the opportunity that they never had before because of scenario, hey, we're doing this show now from your, where are you? You're in Melbourne, so you're in AC, you're in Canberra. I'm in Canberra, yeah. And I'm in my- we can do this but, and also <laughs> yeah. we can learn from examples in the UK of these talented actors to give reference to newer generations but at the same oh, time, look. it brings on the demise of other older forms that were institutions that informed the institutions now, and yep. they are dying. But, but hopefully, the they thing, can transition. Right? I remember when when they first started recording music, mm. everyone was like, "Ah, oh, this is the death of live music." Everyone's well, just exactly. going to buy it, and, and it's like, the no, there's a different theater. experience. Film was the death of live theater. Um, TV was the death of film. But none of these things have mm. ever come true. No. Things just have to evolve, you know, and that's why it kind of relates back to what I was saying. If you if you walk away from an institution, you kind of have to give the next lot of people the gift of saying, here, this is what I've done. If you need me, contact me, but otherwise have fun. Yeah. Fantastic. Do I, something great that I, I never would have thought of. That's what you have to do. That's the same thing you would have wanted to receive when you first arrived at that institution, isn't it? They kind of, yes. we've got a safety net if you need it, but we think you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Do, I do think, though, you we're talking about it in a very um, egalitarian way of like these institutions fall to better opportunities. But sometimes, unfortunately, though, I think the reality is they're kind of being pushed out by for other reasons and usually yes. economic ones or mm. things that just, well, it's not profitable to do the witness now because of, well, we, we're competing with social media and other forms. Yeah. But what we do need a thing to take its place. And if exactly. that's not happening, so what comes that's a real idea. unfortunate situation. Yeah. yeah, and arts journalism is really is really in trouble. Yeah. Mm. And that's what I mean. So when you see things, first of all, you see that, you know, newspaper criticism, uh, you know, critics used to be super important, and I think they actually still are yeah. of the art, you know, because they're usually really informed commentators. Mm. And sure, they have a perspective, but you get to know the critics that you tend to agree with and the ones that you never agree with. Mm. And that's okay because you make a judgment about whether to go to an exhibition or to a show according to that, you know, yeah. uh, your acquaintance with, with their work and their taste. And so, you know, even if, if someone always writes what you think are bad reviews of good work, well, you get to know that pretty quickly mm. and it doesn't necessarily stop ticket sales, but uh- now there is there is very little uh, room for arts journalism, uh, whether that be um, actually in the newspapers um, or online, like Witness was an online um, kind of magazine, if you like. Mm. Um, and if that's even closing down now, you kind of wonder, well, where where are those voices that are going to make that sort of informed commentary because they're, they're the historians in a sense. They, they look at the contemporary art practice and they discuss it and yeah. and then the generations go back and that's their primary source for understanding something because they can't go back to that exhibition 
They can never see that production mm. if it's not stored online somewhere. And, um, you know, in order for me to teach, especially Australian theatre history, I used to go to the Sydney Opera House where there was the Dennis Wolanski Library, which is no longer, that went away a long time ago. And that had a repository of all the journalism, all the criticism that had been written about past productions. Wow. It was the most amazing resource. So I could go in there and say, I really want to teach the students about this show because I think this play is very, very important. I know that it was done at, you know, Nimrod 20 years ago. I didn't get to see it because I was living in Victoria at the time. But I can find all these reviews. So I can find five reviews about this play that these really informed commentators made. And from that, I can get a picture of what it was like. And then I can pass that on to the students. You know, and, and so it, arts journalism is such an important resource historically, mm, apart yeah. from anything else. It's a record. Yeah, that, a record. I think that's where our institutions, and for, or when I say institutions, I mean some more our political structure and our sort of mainstream yeah. institutions are failing in the context of, like you went into NIDA and you're thinking art history. Most people's assumptions are, oh, they, they have an assumption and they're yeah. going in there a little bit, okay, radio, what have you got for me, Karen? but then you mm. show them the relevance of it. And sometimes you mm. really do need to actually force it upon them and go, no, there is a reason for this here and there's an amazing context and mm. their assumptions mm. were wrong and their expectations mm. were wrong and yeah. that's why it's really unfortunate now we kind of live in that circle of, oh, if I don't like it straight away, I'm just going to move on. It's all mm. very, oh, I don't like it, don't need it, I won't watch it. A TV, mm. I'll have to wait for a week. Uh, I'm just going to watch it on a streaming service. Like it's great. Oh, it's a great streaming. Like it's wonderful, but yeah. there's something to waiting. There's something to a body saying, no, no, this is good for you. You're going to sit down and unfortunately watch it and you will learn. Maybe you won't like it. Maybe you will, but yeah. you've got to have the opportunity. Well, look, what I always kind of say, used to say to the students is, is like it's great that you don't like something, but you've got to give me really good reasons why. Mm. Yeah. And until you can do that, yeah. then it's just, you know, do you like raspberry lollies or, or, you know, do you like the green frogs or the red frogs? Who cares? Mm. But if you can actually um, critique from a perspective of deeper thought and, uh, and the knowledge that you've acquired and accumulated and, you know, you make a good argument, great. I mean, one of the best essays I marked at NIDA was written by a student and I disagreed with every word he said, but he said it so damn well. He got an HD. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have those views, <laughs> yeah. but they were argued so beautifully that it was very persuasive. That was kind of cool. Well, that goes on to, I have, I, I'm totally foreign to the NIDA world. Obviously I have no background in that. And so when you do say it, an acting school, my assumption is kind of like maybe the, the TAFE comment, Oh, they're just going there. They're going to do some acting on the side. They have lunch for a bit. Um, <laughs> they're not a, doing art history. So what is actually kind of, what are you doing yeah. there day to day? Give yeah. me that because yeah. that's really interesting. I was up on the railing doing some acting. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like is there 101 um, spotlight? Like is it, you said before, there's a lady who with the phone and she was a yeah. set designer or yeah. something along those lines. Well, is it, well the best, the, I think the best way to explain NIDA is – Every single one of the actors thinks the school is about them. Sure, uh, and that's, of course. That's, yep. That goes for whatever year they're in. Um, but hey, that's like, young people in general. So It's like, no, we're the next Mel Gibson. Um, 
And, you know, and it helps when you walk through the walls and Mel's on the wall. You know, you're like, yeah, that's going to be me one day. That's, that's, that's me. I'm Mel. Um, and the women are feeling the same way about Kate. And, you know, and it's – but the actual fact is of the courses, there's a couple of the courses that are almost 100% guaranteed to get work at the end of it. Mm. And that's not the acting course. Like they produce some of the best designers, the best stage managers, um, all the, the background, you know, the, the, the people that you don't think of as being the face of NIDA. Yeah. They're the guys that get out and change the industry. So are you, you know? going in with an elective of uh, performing arts or set design or costume? Well, Is that like you audition for discipline? your specific thing of what you yeah. want to be. So I ah. wanted to be an actor. Yes. I auditioned for the acting course. I yeah. went to the acting course. Um, and this is this is proving my point about the actors thinking I'm that they're designer. the most important. I'm just going to bring in this massive background. I've just formatted a country western scene here. Really? No, they don't. Um, they they, really? they yeah. have to do. Yeah, they bring something in. The way I do my monologue, yeah. they had to. If you were studying design, yeah. you had to show up with a portfolio and yeah. with a model, and you had to explain why you'd set the play like that. Wonderful. And yeah, this it's really hard to get in. Yeah. Like, doesn't matter what. Like, my um. Uh, I can't think of how he's related to me at the moment, but one of the, the guys who's sort of loosely related in my family, um, he just got into the design course at NIDA and it was as big a celebration as I'd had getting in, yeah, in the sure. acting course. Like it's, it's a real, it's a thing yeah. to be proud of yeah, to, yeah. to go there and study. And like I say, my yeah. friends that graduated from in those courses, um, you know, like um, Govinda and, and George, like they've been running a, a prop house out of Sydney that's wildly successful. Um, yeah. You know, everyone, everyone who was in those courses excelled. And that's mm. not to say that the that every single person that comes out of that acting course didn't have the ability to, to excel. It's just uh. the way that we're handled in the industry is a little bit differently. Oh. Um, sorry, a little bit different. It's terrible English. No, um, you got the point but, across. But yeah, um, so... For me yeah. as an actor showing up at the school, you've got a whole bunch of different courses. So you think about your body as your instrument. That's what you're using to express and tell that story. Yeah. So there's kind of the very tangible ways of improving on it, which yeah. is, you know, your voice, your physical movement. So you've, you've got your voice and your movement classes. Um, then you've got to start working on your brain and what's going to be coming out of it. So you start studying improvisation. Yeah. You start um, – and, and I think where – where Karen sort of comes into it in the whole history of theatre is understanding your history and knowing what's come before you and mm. then being able to take that and use it to then sort of build mm. that, that future. And, and I think, like, I remember someone saying to me back, back at the time when they were talking about the fact um, that Andrew Upton and Kate were, were taking over STC as, as um, yep. artistic directors and... I, at the time, I was completely ignorant to who Andrew Upton was. You know, obviously, I knew who Kate was. Um, and then someone just said the how lucky she was to have someone who was a genuine theatre auteur sort of in her, her corner, someone who could actually. And I think yeah. that's what, by understanding the past, gives you a better gauge of what's good in the present Definitely. and what's mm. going to be good in the future. Yeah. You know, and so I think. You know, Karen's course was basically working from the inside out and a lot mm. of our other courses working from the outside in. You know, mm. like I would have said kind of the the perfect bookends for my NIDA experience was 
you know, a history of theatre lecture with yourself and then a movement class with Keith Bain on the opposite end where they're kind of, and he's something, when you were first talking about the thing of the history and understand the history of theatre in Australia, when I I walked into um, Gavin Robbins' office the other day and he had a picture of Keith from, I feel like it's from about the early 80s maybe. Yeah. You know the one where he's, he's, very much the foreground focus and in the background you can see people doing ballet and there's only sort of two or three couples in the in the background. Yes. Yeah, I know that photo, yeah. yeah. Um, and, I mean, if you don't know your history, you walk in and go, oh, that's a nice-looking man and you think mm. nothing of it. When you know your history, you see that yeah. photo and you go, that's the guy that inspired Strictly Ballroom. That's the guy that I mm-hmm. watched Kate Blanchett jump over 15 rows of seats at STC just to give a hug. Like there's, there's those really important people. So privileged that, to learn from him. Like I remember um, when I sort of came to terms with the fact that I wasn't going to make it to, to his funeral because I was living in the UK, mm. I, was, I was in hysterics. You know, I was, I was sobbing on my floor because of how much he'd meant oh, to all of us, you know. I know, I know. Um, the extraordinary man. And if you don't know your history, you don't know those people. You know? And, you know, he means as much to the dance community as he does to the acting community. Yeah. That's how extraordinary he is. A phenomenal man. Such a humble person who, as a teacher, you know, was learning every day from his students, mm. from, from the bodies in front of him, you know, in, in the most genuine way, yeah. which I think um, that's an extraordinary legacy. Because, you know, I think the thing that teachers don't confess to enough is actually... Um, how lucky we are because we are learning. We're just greedy and we're learning more and more because we're spending time with talented young people who teach us a huge amount, you know. You might have just hit on what what maybe made yourself and Keith such great teachers in, in my life is by saying that I suddenly realised that any time that I was in a, a lesson with either of you, there was a give and take that was occurring. And there, I felt a connection, you know, between yeah. and it, and when I say a connection, it's not just with me; it's with you know 120 people that were sitting in that room. But there was a genuine give and take connection happening. And when I think about the teachers that had zero effect on me, they were up there telling me. Right. You know, there wasn't that. Yeah. Transfer of of um, lack of a better word, empathy of you know of. Knowledge yeah, look, coming back none as of us knows, None of us knows everything. And, and um, knowledge and new ideas come out of the most extraordinary places, you know, that you don't expect. And that's true when you're running a team of people like I do now um, at the Portrait Gallery. You know, they're highly, highly skilled and creative. And they come up with the most extraordinary ideas. The best ideas are not necessarily going to come from the top. Um, you've got to be prepared if you really want um, wonderful kind of uh, events to happen and, 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 and great experiences for audiences. You have to take the best ideas that are put on the table mm. and you don't give a shit about where they come from. <laughs> you've got to be open to them. You have to take your ego out of it, don't you? You can't just be the extrovert and say, I have an idea, I have an idea. You have to be that listener as well. Certainly I think you raise up the ranks as well. Or even Absolutely. more importantly, you know, 
And you don't just ask questions you know the answers to. As a teacher, you should ask the questions that you haven't worked out yet. <laughs> you know? And then and then people really sort of grappling together. It's um it's how we make theatre. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a very it's a it sounds like a beautiful institution, um, the theatre arts world, in least with regards to education there. Because you can see a little bit maybe in the academic world there could be a bit more reservation with ideas. I do think there's still a, a collaborative feel but probably coming with a bit more of like – and I think before you may be selling yourself short of that, you have to learn from your students. You have to – it was like, well, Karen, that's why it makes you such a good teacher is because you are willing to do that. That's probably not – a all teachers, you know, generally when people are in sense places of authority, I, I know what I'm talking about yeah. and you don't and I'm telling you what the history of art is and you will listen and you will learn from me yeah. and th- that's one way of doing it. It's not the only way of doing it. Like I'm, I'm even thinking of people that I've experienced in my working life because I've, I've had this um, sort of uh, at times annoying thing within me that, I want to challenge ideas and I want to, and particularly when it came to when I was still focused on acting, I wanted whatever I was doing to be the best that it could possibly be. So if I didn't really buy something that a director was telling me to do, I'd challenge them and try and get them to sell me on it. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. did have a few times where I ended up having to sort of pull the director away. Once on a, on a set, I had to actually ask the AD for 10 minutes just to talk to the director because he snapped at me. Mm-hmm. I had to pull him aside and go, no, no, I want, this to be great and at the moment I don't believe in what you're telling me to do so make me believe in it like I want to believe in it and I want to then be able to put that up and I think how did they respond well after that we then had a really really great working relationship but up until that point it always been tense and I think there's a definite ability that I think when you're in a position of authority or of being the mentor or the teacher that you have Mm. to keep that ego in check of going are they undermining me out of disrespect or are they actually just trying to challenge what I believe? Yeah, you know, it's you know? usually not that hard to tell the difference in, in, in the way that, you know, um, people are behaving. But I, I kind of buy that, you know, occasionally that could be a problem. Um, you know, and if, if someone is just undermining you for whatever reason, it's usually because they want your job or whatever. <laughs> that they do that, um, well, you do have to step on that. Um, you know, it's survival be eaten, I suppose. But for the most part, if someone is genuinely puzzled or they're grappling with something you've asked them to do, you know, you can tell that that's genuine. Mm. So, I mean, you did exactly the right thing. It's like, hang on, don't misinterpret me. I'm not... I want to understand because I want this to be really great. We're yeah. on the same, we're after the same thing. Yeah. But we're speaking different languages at the moment. So we just need to, you know, and that's cool. Um, Cause that's how the best work gets made. Yeah, I think, but look, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Cause I mean, we're reminiscing and we're, I'm really happy to see Ado and it's really lovely <laughs> to feel that he's happy to see me. 
but you know it wasn't a fairy tale that place no that's i really uh, bristled when when josh was sort of saying so yes i think what was the word you used like lovely or and i was yeah, like, like a, well overly you're speaking very fondly of I your memories you it of beautifully it and, beautiful and i was like architecturally it's a beautiful <laughs> facade yeah yeah i was like you know we're talking about we're talking about a place where i i was once sort of challenged by a director who was brandishing a katana sword uh-huh. um we're talking about places just pulling you into know, the moment aiden he's just making it feel real yeah where i you know you ended up in the fetal position in a in a um a storeroom on the mats just crying <laughs> oh, uncontrollably cupboards. Um, i was terrified to open those cupboards i never knew who I was so was that like a deliberate exercise we're going to make you no, feel no no i'm saying i'm saying you get go to the in point there, where this is like, the baby room this is where like, you just no, I j- you just find a dark place and try and deal with the oh, stress okay. and yep. the, the you know the stuff you were going. Okay. And I think mm. it's one of those things that when I talk back to real children, yeah, like I, I say to people, there are people that are very damaged, um, yeah, from their experience. You know, we have to face up to that fact. Yeah, yeah. sure. And, and there's th- to be made. And yeah, and no, I'm stuff. not laughing at that. It's the unfortunate truth that. It being that is just like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's, I mean, when I look back on it now, I'm eternally grateful that I got the chance to do it. Um, me too. But, you know, if you asked me to relive that entire period of my life again, there was so much stuff that I never want to touch again, you know. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, the whole first year is about, like, getting to the point where you are just analyzing every sinew of what makes you, you. And if you're the type of person, and I, you know, I experienced some of these people who basically just went, well, no, that's off limits and that's off limits. And I'm cutting that off. And, you know, I'm going to explore myself to this point. And they sort of got through it without any issue. They were sort of fine. And then there were those of us that went, but did they get through it at the detriment of them having a better performance um, or being better at it? Performance is subjective. Sure. You know, you can watch someone who's driven themselves to nearly the point of insanity. Yeah. And then I'll watch it and go, yeah, it was kind of crap. I didn't enjoy that at all. And then yeah, I can I watch someone like, like Adam Sandler, who's basically not, you know, when he's doing a comedy, he's not doing anything <laughs> and it's enjoyable. Like it's, yeah, sure. it's so subjective. Yeah. And Adam Sandler's the same one that he can then do a dramatic role. Like, yeah. um, what was it? The, yeah, Rough Diamonds. The Rough Diamonds. Yeah. And it's, it's fucking heartbreaking. So, yeah, but I mean, for me, for me personally, like there was, there was people that were in my year that, you know, we actually accepted, maybe we were just too young to know better, but we it's just accepted time. it and we went, yeah. if you want to strip us naked, we're going naked, you know, and yeah. that was, and it meant you had to acknowledge very uncomfortable truths about yourself in an age where you probably wouldn't normally be doing it. Mm. And it was then a question, like, this is one of the things that, um, you know, I always say about one of my very good friends from in the, the year is that, you know, some of us were given the ability to become that star and that amazing artist and all the tools to do the art and none of the tools to handle being that thing. And I think that that can be the real struggle is... How do you deal with all the crap that comes along with it? Yeah, that's an issue. That's a very interesting question of because you you go into the medium of what it is to be an actor performer, 
slash celebrity or something like this thing. It is usually foisted upon people who are of a younger age and maybe don't have a history, but then you see the actors that have a lot of working history and then do get famous, like a Brian Cranston or something yeah. like this. Yeah, who, it's a much who, yeah. handle it very well, it would seem. Well, I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I think, in my personal opinion, and this is something that I'm still forming, but my feeling is that it's the people that have actually got a sense of identity which is divorced from their art form that seem to be the most successful. Whereas if... And you mean successful in the sense of not purely the art form, but as more of a holistic thing? Uh, in life. Yeah. As in, uh, you know, they're able to happily live a yeah. life. Is that ability that um, if your entire identity is tied up in, say, being the lead actor, you know, I'm an actor, that's what I do. The moment you're not working, what are you? You're yeah. nothing. I know. You know? And, and this whole, there was that wonderful series that some young actor did in the last couple of years that was just about that, wasn't it? An Australian young, well, to me, he's young, young actor. I can't, I wish I could remember his name, but he, he's someone who found fame on television quite early. And then when that ended, he was just like thrown to the wolves, he felt like he'd been thrown to the mm. wolves. He had no idea how to cope. And he went around interviewing all these other actors um, about the, the, the kind of, the very thing that you're talking about, Ado. I wish I could remember what the series was called, but it was really good. Did you see it? No. I didn't. We'll, we'll track down what it is, though. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll throw it up as yeah. a link. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It was very good. It was yeah. really good. And it was exactly about that. It was exactly about how you actually need the tools to be a functioning human being um, with a very uncertain profession because that's mm. what it is. And it doesn't matter how often you tell young people that they're entering an uncertain profession because the, the will to be an actor is the same will that says it's not going to be like that for me. Mm. And you kind of need that yeah. uh, to enter into it. See, I, I was slightly, slightly inoculated from that in that I had a, remember having a thought when I first arrived at NIDA where I looked around on the walls and I thought to myself, the only thing that's scarier than being at this school in this acting course and looking at all the famous faces that are on these walls. I mean, it, it's, it's a who's who of the greatest mm -hmm. actors that have come out of Australia. Yeah. The only thing scarier than those is all the people that I've never heard of. The people who had enough talent to stand yeah. where I'm standing right now, who mm -hmm. were given all the tools that I'm being given right now. Mm. And then for whatever reason... Yeah. It didn't turn into that career. No. You know? And you're talking about, you know, when I came through, there was, um, what, 22 of us graduated? Mm -hmm. talking about 22 young actors each year coming out of just that institution. And now yep. we've got, would you say, what was it at least three comparable um, institutions? Yeah. Would you say four? Mm. You know, so you're talking yep. about just over 100 a actors each year. Yeah. Um, yeah well that's life baby like i mean you, you it's not certain you can have all the skills in the world but really sometimes it just does come down to luck yeah i mean I, like some of the most talented people uh, i've ever the worked irony with, is to be successful uh, well, yeah and then I've, I've worked with other people who you know honestly i'll never name but you sort of end up standing in front of them going how did you end up in this position oh look as a teacher you do that too <laughs> you know <laughs> 
I failed that person, that pupil with a D. Like <laughs> that, no, this is wrong. What's going on? Yeah. What uncle do you they have? Feel, but more often than that, I mean, yeah, sure, that happens. But more <laughs> often than that, you you think, whatever happened to so-and-so? I thought mm. she was remarkable. Yeah. You know, mm. I, where did she go? What's she doing? But you know what, um, though, I reckon there's probably a really nice bookend to that is that you think, oh, where do they go? They didn't do that thing. But you, if you probably found them, they'd probably be really content, possibly. Well, I mean, you know, like they've come terms with it. Maybe if they've already had that presence, mm. that they might actually have already sort of just that little bit of extra life in them at an early yeah. age. Well, and mean, they might yeah. come to their place of not yeah. comfort but contentment or acceptance of what right. life is a bit. I do, well, certainly I do. that's what you hope for all of them. Yeah. I, I do remember back when I was there, um, one of the things, you know, because everyone was talking about Kate and, and all the things she was doing. And I remember Kate hearing... Moss. Uh, yeah, Kate Moss. Um, yeah. I remember hearing whispers um, early on that um, people were like, yeah, but you, you know that in her year, like she wasn't the star of that year. Like there was an actress that was better than her, like way better. And we're like, at the time, you know, she was doing Elizabeth and she was doing this. And all of us are uh, just scratching our head going, how can someone be better? And then we start hearing about Essie Davis and, um, you know, the stuff that she, and then, yeah, and then and we were like, well, well, where is she? And they're like, well, she is literally just booked in the UK doing theatre. But that's uh, all she does yeah. and yeah. seems very happy. And, you yeah. know, in the yeah. years gone by, she's now sort of started building that sort of, you know, you'd call that, you know, <laughs> the successful um, film and TV sure. career. Sure. Yeah, the yeah. mistake would be the assumption the success is a Chris Hemsworth versus but that's, someone that's acting the on the problem. stage. That's the problem yeah, with the acting world yeah, is yeah. like what I was saying about when you tie your identity to being that thing. Yeah part of being an actor is how many people know you. Sure. You know, how many people know you as being an actor. And I remember um, no. when I was doing Out of the Blue, the, I was, uh, Clayton Watson sat there and explained to me the levels of fame. And he said, level one is when people in the industry know you as that thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me it was when, I'd, when I was graduating NIDA and starting to be there, you know, I'd been in a, in a foyer and you'd see other people from the industry and they knew who you were and you knew who, who they were and there was that kind of, you know, group knowledge. Mm -hmm. But no one outside of the industry knew who you were. Mm. Then you reach the biggest level of fame that I ever reached where, well, I, I kind of stepped slightly into the next, but, but it's the, the area where people just think they know you from some part of their life and they don't know when. Yeah. So you have, yeah. you have people that come up to you and they're, they're sort of like, and the normal thing was they'd be going like, where do I know you from? And, yeah. and you'd, you'd go, oh, I'm, oh, I don't know. And they'd go, did you go to school in Wollongong? Or mm. you're like, no, 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 yeah. I didn't. And it'd be a long drawn out thing. And at once it really heavily backfired on me where I had a couple of drinks and I was out at a party and this girl comes up to me, a quite attractive girl comes up and she goes, where do I know you from? And I went, oh, I'm on TV. And she went, mm, no, you, you know Sarah, don't you? And I went... <laughs> Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. you know one of my school friends. Um, yeah, you know, I felt like a massive you know, douche. And I had, I had one time where a guy actually came up to me at, at Coogee and he came up and he was blown away about the fact that, you know, he knew my character, he knew my name, he knew oh. so much stuff about me wow. and, yeah. and was like, oh, I've, 
He's going to be, you know, when I knew I was coming over here, I was wondering if I was going to like run into anyone from like home and away or, or something. Oh, okay. To run into you, man, so cool. Yeah, and like post for a photo and oh, you know, it happened once. And then but, from know, there, there's, there's you know, Bill. just really out there and, and it, it kind of just never happens for them. And, and that's mainly because, you know, they don't fit whatever the kind of idea of marketability is. Mm. And that changes all the time. That's particularly true, as here's the old feminist, for women. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you don't sort of fit a particular standard of, of beauty, which is usually fairly unattainable, it and can also just, just make... age, unfortunately. Like that, that totally. Yeah. Totally. Whereas I am an actor that when I was going through NIDA, John Clark always used to take me aside and said, your best roles will come later in your life. You've just got to keep going. Because he looked at this face, he looked at this head and my personality, and I'm tall, you know, Ado can tell you. Um, and he just said, yeah, you're not going to. And then it was so funny because he said, look, put it this way, Karen, you're not going to play the nurse, you're going to play the matron. <laughs> the more sub <laughs> substantive one, though, like it's the one that everyone remembers really. And it was just so funny. Um, but it, he was absolutely right, you know. He's absolutely right. Like, mm. I get better roles now than I ever have. Yeah. Not that I'm actually, I mean, I'm not out there because I don't have enough time because I've got a big job. But yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. thinking well, about your job, Karen, I was thinking well, as well, a conversation, like, there must be times when you're walking through the hallways, no one's around, it's closed, the place is closed up. Yeah. And is has there been or would there been or a painting that you've just sat in front of a portrait and just been there for time is gone, essentially, you know, like you've just, yeah, That's had one of those moments. And yeah. And I mean, there are some portraits that speak to me in a particular way and it's really hard to define why, but there's one um, that's in a, in a, a current exhibition that we have called Australian love stories, which is a fabulous exhibition. And again, you can find it online and, find out about it and see some of the works. And there's a portrait there that was done kind of mid 20th century um, by a female artist called Lena Bryans, who was uh, originally born in Hungary and she came to Australia with her family. Um, and it's of her partner who was an architect called Alex Jelinek. And uh, he was a visionary kind of architect. There's not many of his buildings that are still standing, but there is one in Canberra. Um, and it's this amazing portrait. It's, it's a big, you can find it on the website. It's a big, a big work and it's bright yellow. And Alex himself is painted just with black lines. It's so simple and so fluid. And you've got this, man who's looking intently at um, what I imagine is is the architect's, you know, sloping table. You know how they work on those? Oh, yeah, the, the drafts, drafting table. Drafting yeah. table, thank you. You just get all of this, but it's just lines mm. on yellow and it's powerful and mm. I do find it mesmerising. I love it. And there's also a John Brack painting that I love of um, an art dealer. And again, it's a very graphic, very, very simple, very stark, highly coloured painting. Mm. Um, but it just emanates this kind of uh, sophistication. 
of the the art dealer in his perfect Italian suit, you know. Well, that's that's so so chic. It's amazing. I love it. It's something that I, I, again, when I was, I think on the the one with uh, Dave Eastgate was when I was talking about it, about the the difference between, uh, normally anyway, the difference between an intellectual and an artist is, you know, the intellectual can tell a simple thing in a complicated way and the artist can tell a complicated thing in a simple way. Oh. And the, um, you know, the artworks that have always sort of just invoked that sort of feeling from me very often have been the ones that have done it simply. And it's like my, you know, one of my favourite artists is Banksy for his ability to yeah. Yeah. sort of take a, yeah. a very simple idea but he's the only one that thought of it and there it is you know um yeah and it's it's like the you know when when we were first doing um some of this stuff we were talking about favorite quotes and mm. stuff like that all right and one of my ones is from um oh yeah actually you can help me out with this is it jd salinger or salinger salinger yeah. so you pronounce yeah. the g yep okay and it's the one where, he, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, he says, you know, she was standing there at the railing doing nothing, you know, interesting that I could see, just standing there holding the universe together. Wow. And that, you know, when you've been in that situation and, you know, Josh is married to a, a wonderful woman and I know that he's been in that situation mm-hmm. where you suddenly, you know, you get smacked in the face by that, that person mm-hmm. and that's exactly what it is. They're standing there doing nothing, but they're holding your entire world together. Oh, you know? that's gorgeous. And I mean, yeah. kids do that in a heartbeat, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> and for dogs for me. I really like dogs. <laughs> <laughs> do you yeah. remember my kids? They used to come to I do, night. I do. That was actually something that um, I was, <laughs> was going to say to uh, well, Josh and I were talking about beforehand mm. was, you know, it. I wanted to try and avoid it being the um, – Reminiscent shows. No, no, the, um, what's the word for it? It's, <laughs> it's just so often it's such a blatantly sexist comment when, whenever it's the woman being interviewed, it's like, how do you balance family life? But for me as a father and, you know, a, a divorced, you know, divorcee father, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. actually something that really interests me because it's such a struggle. Like for me to try oh, and keep my career going, plus have yeah. someone look after my daughter, you know, it's. Yeah. So how, how well, did you, know, you do it? Well, you know, for me, my career, other than my acting and directing career, my teaching career, which has taken me through NIDA and then to the portrait gallery thus far, um, actually came about because I was a parent, not in spite of. <laughs> and I know by that, that, you know, I was, um, my husband left um, when my eldest was three and my youngest was 15 months. So see, I never knew that. Yeah, yeah. So I was a single mum. I mean, he was, you know, he was around if I needed him. He's not a a hideous person or anything. Yeah. You know, he gave us the money that he could and all that stuff. So it wasn't like a disaster. But um, so I was very head down, bum up, if you know, like sort of Mm. going, okay, how do I earn a living? Because being an actor is not going to cut it. Mm. Yeah. So I had to change course, and that's really when I came to NIDA and um. And started working there as a tutor and and then sort of gradually uh, became, you know, from casual to part-time to full-time. And then by the time you knew me, I was kind of well-established there. Yeah. Running the course, I think, by the time you were there, I'm not sure. But um, 
Yeah, I think the transition was just happening. Who's fantastic, who I still uh, stay in touch with. And he was a real mentor and really helped me too. So um, I, spoke, I spoke over that. Can you say his, his name again? The gentleman Ken you're talking Ken Healy. Ken Healy. Gorgeous. Yeah. I don't know if he was still there when you were. Yeah, he was. You you were, oh. the transition was kind of happening between, you yeah, know, right. he was yeah, gradually yeah. handing over the power. Yep. Yep. Um, very generous, wonderful mentor, taught me a heap. And one of the best things he ever said to me when I was going, oh my God, Ken, you just know so much, you know, mm. I'm doing all this research for every lecture, blah, 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 blah. And he's like sort of breezing in and just talks and shoots the breeze and is brilliant. But I swear, oh, and he said, I had 30 more years reading than you. Mm. That's the only difference. That was such a generous mm. and wonderful thing. And, you know, I've often said that to students ever since, you know, like Ken said this to me and it's actually true. Yeah. Well, years on the planet, looking at, thinking about, reading about the things that you love. Mm. And then, you know, you just have this, this bank of knowledge that builds up and, you know, your duty is to kind of give that to other people. Yeah. Like, but and I mean, also the gift of that confidence that, yeah, yeah. you'll get you'll yeah, the, re- the reassurance that comes yeah. with an elder saying that to somebody. Yeah. But I mean, oh, NIDA was, it, at least I'm sure it's still the same now, but, yeah. you know, it was full of those people. Um, I was, I was just telling Maya yesterday about a time that, um, that, uh, Terence Clark just suddenly gave us an impromptu lesson on grammar that taught me more about grammar than I ever had, you know, from any yeah, of my no. high school journey. Um, there was a well, time when... you know, when, Terry was a maths teacher. Yeah, yeah. In a previous... And I mean... As well as theater director. There was, Amazing. There was also a moment when um, when Tony Knight realised we didn't really... It was when we were doing Shakespeare. He he made some comment that was sort of like an in-joke about the, the royal family in the UK. And suddenly realised that no one had really laughed. And he went, hang on, do you guys know about what was going on in the monarchy during that? Like, do you guys know the War of the Roses? Do you know? And we, we sort of went, mm, no, no idea. And he, the next lesson, I remember him walking into that um, at the very end of the school, not the furthest rehearsal room, but the one back that we used to do all the movement classes in. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I remember him sitting on there, and he basically, you know, in his in his surf shirt and his jeans, and he kicked off his thongs and he took his this little, I think it was a rip curl cap that he used to wear, sort of took that off and rubbed the top of his head, and then went right. So, in 1100 AD, and he he just did this chronology of the royal family in the UK, and it was out of his head. Sure. And I sat there yeah. listening to him, going, "How do you have this knowledge?" Mm-hmm. And you know, it was a it was an inspiring moment, but it wasn't the only moment that I had like that in the course. Mm. Like someone like Helmut Bikaitis, like I'm going to try and get get Helmut on the show at some point because oh great, yeah. I mean, the conversations you can have with him that you know will go from a discussion about a particular animator from Russia in you know a time will yeah. suddenly segue into him, you know dancing on stage with Tina Arena into like this. Yeah, just they, – they, that was what I always said about, about NIDA was I felt like a lot of the other institutions in Australia didn't have the funding to give you the opportunity that NIDA did in that mm. they'd say, oh, this is a really important person. You know, you, you should know about this person. Whereas NIDA had this ability to go, ladies and gentlemen, here is Stephen Burkoff. 
Sure. You know, there was there was that type of, mm. of power that it had. Uh, I I'm know. sure it still does. Yeah. I think it does in the, the casual atmosphere, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Karen, we have taken up an inordinate amount of your time. We well, are, it's been really lovely. It has been wonderful. Yeah. yeah, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for having and me. I, I mean, we, we didn't even get into any of all the, the Russian translations and the, the Chekhov stuff. So. No, I, I mean, a, <laughs> if, uh, a, a brief five minutes of some Russian translations, <laughs> I'm sure we can do it justice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah. Oh, I haven't done any for a while, but yeah, yeah, that's um, that's yeah. another thing I do from time yeah. to time, but only for a specific production. Yeah, I don't just do it kind of like, oh, I think I'll translate Uncle Vanya tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's. It is it is literal Russian translations for a performance or some sort of yeah. theatre. Because oh, wow. you are still fluent in Russian, aren't you? Well, reading, yeah, but yeah, my talking is awful. Because, you know, yeah, it just gets rusty. Yeah, sure. Mm. But, yeah, the wow. reading stuff, yeah, I can do that. I used, to, I used to love just even like when we're studying Chekhov and stuff like that when yeah. you pronounce the, the Russian names that I was reading in the book and going, I've got no idea how that's meant to be. And then you'd say yeah. it and I'd be like, oh, okay, that's, yeah. that's this. Yeah, crazy. we used to have fun. We used to have fun doing that. Those 13 yeah. consonants in a row. That's how you say it. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yep. 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 Yeah. More or less, Josh. Yeah, more <laughs> or less. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, is there anything on. you'd like to plug again, Karen, since you have this opportunity here? It's a small audience at the moment, growing fondly, but anything oh, you want to good. Yeah, well, come and see Australian Love Stories at the National Portrait Gallery. And then I'm going to be um, performing in a production of Urine Town. Woohoo! Oh, the musical. Um, okay. In September. Oh, yeah. cool. So, yeah, I just got my script today and sort of looking at that with terror. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be fun. It's completely mad. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the next things off the off the block for me. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, best of luck with them. I'm sure they're going to go swimmingly. So. Oh, I Enjoy hope so. Enjoy that. It's been an absolute pleasure again, once again. And, it's been um, really nice to meet you and so lovely to see you, Ado, and yeah, to talk. Too. It's great. And thank you for all those lovely things you said. No, and the... That all of them are, are genuine. Like the, you know, I've, yeah, you had a you had a great effect on not just me. I think, you know, all the students that, that came out I'm of sure the institution under you. Like you're shaking their heads and just going, nah. <laughs> <laughs> you kidding? Come on, yeah. No, he said he was very excited before the uh, the, yeah. the episode today. Yeah, he was looking forward to it. So yeah, it was. It was certainly well, truthful, Karen. Come to Canberra. Let me know if you ever do. Yeah, no, I, I definitely will. I mean, there's the National Museum. There's the National Gallery. There's the National Film and Sound Archive. There's the National Portrait Gallery. It's yeah. actually quite an amazing place. This is the heartbreaking thing. The last four times I've been to Canberra, it was for Summonats. So it's... Hey, <laughs> I'm just going to shake my head. But, you know, you are someone who has the versatility to move between Summonats and the National Portrait Gallery, I have faith. You can do that. <laughs> you, you can do that, and that's yeah. good. I think I'll have to do a trip to Canberra. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Karen. Oh. Thanks, Karen. You just uh, hang up on your end and we'll deal with it. It's been fantastic. Thank you very okay, much. Okay, thanks so much. Bye. Have a good night, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.